Welcome to Beat Blossom, the Good Enough Podcast. This show encourages entrepreneurs to embrace their flaws and be awesome, promote their business without shame on social media, and grow it to support the life they truly desire to live. I'm your host, Anita Kirkbride, social media trainer and brainstormer extraordinaire, founder of the Flossom League Social Media Academy for Business and Twerp Communications, Inc. So today we're talking to Sarah Khan. Sarah is a strategic consultant and operations specialist. And some of you may recognize Sarah's name because she has been my right hand at Twerp Communications for almost two years. And she recently very gently fired me as a client. So we're going to talk about (laughs) her journey from being an employee and having a business as a side hustle to taking that full time and really finding her feet. And I really want to spend some time talking to her about the flossom posts that she puts all over her social media because she's really authentic, very uh, truth telling, and from all outside perspectives would seem to have all of her poop in a group. So welcome to Sarah, my almost formerly virtual assistant. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. It's blossom to be here. (laughs) Well, it's blossom to be talking to you from this perspective, because we talk every week or we have talked Mm -hmm. almost every week for the last two years, but you're going out into the world in a different way now. And I think you have such an interesting journey from when I first hired you as my virtual assistant part-time. Mm-hmm. This was a side hustle for you, right? Was I, I don't know if I was your first client, but you only had a couple of clients for most yeah. of that time. You were client number three. Client number three. So but very you're, you're the only on. one that stuck. <laughs> so tell us about how your business has changed from 18 months, two years ago when we first started working together. Oh gosh, I did start as a VA because when I was looking for a side hustle. When I was looking for something to do just to bring in some extra cash, I thought, you know, at my very first side hustle was transcription for a well-known transcription service, but it was too much work for very little pay. And that didn't last very long. And then someone had turned me on to this idea of why don't you be a virtual assistant? You have all of this business experience, you know, and I'd been an executive assistant in the C-suite in my corporate career. So I was like, yeah, I can do that. It's fairly straightforward. And I didn't know it was a thing. And someone introduced me to it. I took a course online and got my business branding and everything all set up and ready to go. And I started to look for clients. And as my connections started to grow, and as I started to really step into that online space, I started to see what other options were out there. I was meeting people and going, oh, you can do that? Okay. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Until I found what I think I'm doing now is something that is a lot more reflective of what I did offline. And so it was like a natural progression from being a VA to now being an operations strategist, because that's essentially what I was doing when I left corporate. But the journey was, yeah, it was just, I just kept meeting the right people at the right times and being exposed to the right environments. And that's, that's how it kind of came to where it is now. So talk to us about going from it being a side hustle to being your full-time thing? Because I know that was a a long process. 
of you deciding (laughs) to leave employment? Yeah. I mean, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I never wanted. My brother has been an entrepreneur for years and he used to always tell me about how wonderful it was and the freedom. But I also saw him working 14 hour days, 15 hour days. And for me, for a long time, it was very much that, you know, the comfortable, I go to work for nine, I come home at five, someone else worries about everything. I get my paycheck. I'm good to go. A lot of things transpired over the last few years, which is what a led me to having a side hustle. And it's just the general unsteadiness of corporate life. But even as a side hustle, I never felt like it could bring in the kind of money or that I could give it the kind of dedication it required to be a full-time role. So I was doing it nights over my lunch hour, weekends. And as I started to gain more clients, it did start to get a little bit more restrictive in terms of you know how much time I had. Then COVID hit and I was working from home. And that's when I truly realized that I didn't need the full eight hour workday to do what I was doing in my day job, but I was still expected to be online. And it really started to feel very confining and very rigid. And that's something that especially being at home with a kid, well, two kids, and having my side hustle and having to run a household and not being able to go anywhere. I thought to myself, you know what, if I'm going to be home anyway, maybe I should make a go of this thing full time. Emotionally, it was terrifying because I have not not had a job since I was 16. And I'm in my 40s now. I won't tell you how far into my 40s, but let's say the the line is a dot in the horizon. When I finally did let go, though, it was it was scary. And I cried for probably a day, not because I missed a job, but because it was such a release of my identity. Like it was such a I had to let that part of my identity go. And it just it's one of those things where you just know it's right. And I couldn't explain to you because I've been talking about leaving my job for ages, but I never did. And then one day I just woke up and went, you know what? No, I have to do it now because if I'm going to do this business and I'm really starting to enjoy it, I'm meeting great people, great opportunities. I have this freedom that I never had before to, to express myself. And I have this freedom to really work the hours that I want. And I really have the freedom to make these choices Then I need to commit hundred percent. I can't have one foot in one foot out anymore. And so I finally gave my notice and it was, it was terrifying. But then literally the next day, it was liberating. It was amazing. It was wonderful. So you can't see me. I'm shrugging my shoulders and throwing my hands up. You can't throwing your hands up in the air out of relief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Lots of people probably go through that. You know, I didn't have the same experience because I was actually fired from my job, not really fired. My contract wasn't renewed. And Mm -hmm. that was 10 years, 11 years ago now. And I decided to start a business instead of going to find another job. So I never had that kind of experience. But as we were saying, just before we hit record, you know, I'm having the same feelings over considering gently firing a client Mm -hmm. and hopefully I'll feel that same kind of relief. But why do we find it so hard to do the things we know are right for our business? Because our brains are designed to keep us safe, right? Our brain's job is to keep us safe. And so that's why we stay in situations that are no longer serving us because we know the outcome. So for me, for my corporate job, I could tell you the day 
I knew I no longer wanted to do it the day that I stopped having joy in it. And it's the day that I was on mat leave. I had my three month old in my lap sitting in HR where I thought they were going to just talk to me about my mat leave and they bumped me out. And they said that union rules, someone else is coming in, you're out. And I spent the next seven months freaking out because I didn't know what I was going to do. And this was after giving nine years of my blood, sweat and tears to them and literally being told, you don't matter. Sorry. I did eventually get hired back, et cetera, et cetera. But even still two years on, it was such a hard decision to leave because I had a steady paycheck. I had benefits. I knew that I could count on the income. And it's the same way now, especially in the entrepreneurial space, because when you have that money coming in, you hold on to that client because your brain is designed to keep you safe and you make yourself excuses for their behavior. You make excuses for the boundaries you're allowing them to cross. You make excuses for not valuing you the way you deserve to be valued because it's safer than the alternative. And it's easier to turn a blind eye. And so, especially as entrepreneurs, when it's a little bit harder than having to go job hunting because, well, maybe not, because you're still kind of selling yourself, right? And what you're able to bring. But that's why, that's why so many of us make decisions based from a fear space versus a what's better for the business space. And it's really hard to divorce the two. I'll never forget when I was first starting out, I had this business advisory session that it was a thing you signed up for and they pulled in mentors from the business community to come in and give you advice on a specific problem. And I'll never forget this one person in that session who had been in business for 20 odd years at the time saying to me, I know somebody that makes, I don't even remember what they were, but they make this widget for fire trucks and they could really use some social media help to get the word out. Do you want that contact? And I said to this person, no, I don't think that would be a good fit for me. It's too specific. I don't immediately see how social media is going to work for that. And so that's not the kind of work I want to do. And they were appalled. You always take the work that's offered to you. You take it and you figure out how to do it later. I'm like, no, that seems backwards. That doesn't seem right. I'm not going to enjoy my business that way. But I see so many people taking business that is not in their genius zone. And I'm look, I'm guilty of it too. I'm doing work right now that is definitely not my genius zone. But we all fall into that need to be safe. That's what it is. 100%. Yeah. Let's move over and talk about social media, because that's what I really like to talk about. And (laughs) you have some of the most truth telling, awesome, flossom posts on your personal and on your business. But the ones that I really like are the ones where Sarah rants a little bit. (laughs) I mean, everybody loves a good rant, right? Someone once suggested I start a blog called The Wrath of Khan, but yeah, yeah, just just rant on it all day. Yeah, (laughs) I could do that. I could I could easily just rant all day some days. But tell us where you get the inspiration for these posts, because a lot of them are very vulnerable. You're talking about sometimes very personal things. Mm-hmm. In a professional way, if that makes sense, because you're not talking about intimate things, but you're talking mm-hmm. about very personal things, personal things that have happened to you in the past. And 
I mean, if people read these, everybody would think you've got all your poop in a group, as I keep saying. (laughs) I think it's a little bit of an extension of my time as a teacher, because one of the things that I think my students really resonated with was my willingness to be wrong and my willingness to share that I didn't know I didn't have all the answers. And I remember when social media first started, that's, you know, I, I remember when the internet was just a twinkle in someone's eye. I remember having that feeling of, oh, all these people on Instagram, all these people, they're so perfect. Look at their pictures, look at their posts, look at their lifestyles. And I was taken captive by all of that. And in the early days was very, it was very demoralizing for me because I thought, you know, these people are perfect and I'm not like that. And I aspire to be like that. And then the truth started to come out about a lot of people and the tactics that are used in sales and Insta influencers and all, you know, they're being paid to do these things and blah, blah, blah. Or they're renting the big fancy or they're renting Exactly. They're renting the condo on the top floor for a day to do photo shoots. And exactly. And now most of us know that a lot of us still don't. It was more of a commitment to myself. And I made myself this promise that I lived through the damage it did to my self-esteem. Being in the online space, even just as a passive observer, and just feeling so unworthy of everything compared to these people. So I made a pact to myself that when I started to post on social media, it was never going to be curated. It was always going to be uncurated, very real, very raw, very relatable. And that just kind of snowballed from there. And I think that's my personality. I'm a little bit of an overshare, but not in an inappropriate way. And I found that people really started to resonate with posts where I was talking about the truth about things, particularly my motherhood journey. So I have a 12 year old and a three year old and talking about, you know, cause I never post pictures of us in matching outfits with the beautiful background. And like, it's always chaos. I'm in my same granny sweater in most of my selfies for the last year. Like it's, it's real. And 90% of the time, because I'm an outward processor, I need to either write it out or speak it out. 99% of my posts are really just affirmations to myself, something that I needed to hear, something that I needed to affirm to myself so that I didn't feel like a complete failure as a human being. And the more feedback I got from people, the more I heard that, you know, this is what we really need to hear because it's so different to everybody else's, well, most people's social media And that just kind of gave me that validation that I needed that, you know what, it's okay to actually show up as who you are, not perfect, not curated photos, you know, selfies and bad lighting, because that's who we are. And it took so much pressure off having to create content because I could literally just wake up and post a thought and be okay with it. And no one has ever commented on the mess in the background. No one has ever commented on, Sarah, you wore that sweater in the last three selfies. No one's ever commented on the fact that my kid is wearing a onesie with a giant hole in the knee. Nobody's ever commented on that. They comment on my thoughts. And the thing is, when I post something that I've given way too much thought to, that I've tried to make too perfect, that sounds a little bit too much like a sales ad or whatever, I get very little engagement. But when I'm real and honest and raw and I tell it like it is, because that's what I've experienced or that's what I've seen people experience. And I know it needs to be said out loud because we're not talking about it. That gets engagement and that's what people resonate with and that's what they relate to. And so that's what I just keep doing. So have you ever had one of those posts backfire? 
I don't think I remember ever seeing one, but I've only been around for two years. So (laughs) in the early days, I think I might've had a few, like there were a couple where people just didn't, I think I've learned to refine how I tell the truth. I'm very conscious when I was younger, it was very much, I'm right. You're wrong. The tone was different. You know what I mean? Like it was very aggressive as opposed to this is what I believe, but you're allowed to disagree with me and you're allowed to have your own opinion. And I'm not here telling you that you should believe this. This is just what I'm experiencing. And I'm sharing that because I know other people are experiencing it too. And I think that in being able to refine it and present it in that way, that what I'm saying is not gospel truth, but it's what I'm observing. I've had less, if any, backlash. And someone did once say to me, are you not ever worried about being in an echo chamber with respect to your content? Like everybody likes it. You silence dissenting voices. I'm like, no, I constantly welcome a dissenting voice or a disagreement because I want to have that conversation. And I don't censor my friends. I have a friend right now. She's a very, very good friend. I love her dearly. She doesn't publicly comment on my posts, but if I post something that's quite polarizing, she will message me and say, here's why I disagree with you. We have very, very opposing views on you know politics and religion and all that kind of stuff, but I adore her. And it's okay that she doesn't believe what I believe. But I always welcome that on my posts. And I say, you know, you're welcome to comment however you feel. And I will respect that. I may not agree with it, but I'll respect it. And I think I've just cultivated a community of people who know that, right? Mm-hmm. They know that they can agree with me. They don't have to. But if they choose to disagree and post about it, I'm not going to call them out for it. That's been sort of primary for me is really creating a space where people feel safe in being able to say, actually, Sarah, I think you're wrong. And here's why. And disagreement is very different from just simply being rude or disrespectful. I love a good argument. My daughter, Mm -hmm. I have trained my 15-year-old daughter (laughs) to argue with me to the point that I really regret some of the choices I've made (laughs) as a mother. But we do it respectfully. We can point out the problems in my logic like nobody else, which is exactly what I was like at her age. Yeah. So as long as it's respectful, we can have that debate, that argument. She's not going to get grounded for disagreeing with me. Oh, yeah. Like if I post something and somebody disagrees with me, you can be respectful and disagree. But if, you know, I have my hard lines, my hard lines are racism and homophobia and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't be posting those kind of comments on my post. Yeah. But if you just disagree with my politics, okay, we can have a discussion about that. Absolutely. As long as you're respectful, I think you can have any kind of discourse, right? It's just, you don't need to be a dick about it. You can, you can disagree. Do you remember the first time you posted something really vulnerable like that? Kind of putting you on the spot Ooh. here. I'm just wondering how you decided to actually do it and how you felt about doing it that first time. I don't remember the exact post, but I know that there was a period early on where I do remember feeling terrified. Like, are people going to like it? I'm not going to lie. There have been, even once in a while now, I'll post something and I'll walk away from it and come back five minutes later and delete it. Because I'm like, no, 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 That was even, you know, crossing my own lines. Like, that's too vulnerable. Or it shared too much information or it was not in the right spirit. 
Are you one of those people that writes things and deletes it, writes it and deletes, it, writes it and deletes it, and finally says, okay, if I have to do this, if I have to rewrite it and delete it four times, maybe I shouldn't post this because I do that all the time. Yes, sometimes. Like there was a post a couple of days ago that I wrote probably two or three times and then just deleted it. These days it happens a lot more in comments. Like when I'm scrolling yes. through social media and I see a post and I think, okay, I got to comment on this because that's just some BS. 99% of the time I'll delete it because I'm like, do I really want to deal with the fallout from this comment? No, exactly. I don't. Do I have yeah. time for this <laughs> rabbit hole? That's what I will ask myself. If I'm going to put this comment up here, I'm going to get all the comments. I'm going to get all the likes. People are going to disagree. Do I have time for this rabbit hole right now? Yeah. Or can I comment and walk away? Like I made a comment on a LinkedIn post a few weeks ago that I still get notifications about, but I refuse to go in and read it. Because I made the decision that, you know, I've stated my case, it wasn't disrespectful, but I'm not going to respond to the people that are responding to it, positive or negative. Sometimes the other question I will ask myself before I comment is, is this going to matter in five years? And I ask myself this all the time. If, you know, the other day I, I just cut into a line a little too abruptly. I had lots of room. I didn't cut anybody off, but I just, the way I was angled, I did it a little bit abruptly. And then I started beating myself up as I was driving going, man, what was I doing? How did that happen? Like, what was going on? Why did that happen? I'm such a terrible driver. And then I thought to myself, okay, in five years, am I even going to remember this? And yeah. if I'm not going to remember it in five years, then I shouldn't spend any more time thinking about it. And so I just let it go. So that's my five rule. Yeah. If it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend any more than five minutes thinking about it. I, like and I that. use that for arguments on the internet too. Is this really going to matter in five years? Do I need to spend my energy defending this thing on the internet? Yeah. See, for me, it's a little bit different for me. It's is this going to embarrass my children, right? Mm -hmm. If they come across this post in five years or 10 years, because my older one's on social media now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if she reads this, is she going to say, my mom was a horrible person or my mom was unreal? Like that's my barometer for everything that I post. Is this going to in any way make my children see me as a different person? And my hope is no. I want to be exactly who I am in person online. I don't want there to ever be a differentiation or for anyone to say that, oh, when you meet Sarah, she's totally different. Yeah. That would really bother me if somebody said that to me, or if I knew people were saying that about me, that I was very different in person mm -hmm. than I am on the podcast or the impression they get from me from social media, because I, I feel like I am one person and I don't have these dual personalities mm -hmm. of online and in person. It's interesting because you know, I recently went through a really rough personal period, not just COVID, but I mean, geez, look, I'm tearing up. I know nobody can see this, but I'm tearing up just thinking about it. <laughs> and through this whole time, through COVID and this whole rough personal period, I continued to run my business. I continued to have live trainings for people. I continued to support the business community and my followers with all kinds of free content. And when I told people what was going on, one of the best comments I got was, well, it was a telling comment, maybe not the best comment, but it meant a lot to me. She said something to the effect of, wow, I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes because you've been such a stable part of this pandemic for me. Wow. So, 
you just never know what's going on behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And here I think I'm being pretty open and while I am now being very open about what has been going on that whole time, but at the time I hadn't been talking about it. But I think that's part of it too. Like one of the wonderful things about social media is this sense of community. And I've noticed it more since we've been going through COVID, right? This online community is so freaking important. And what I will say is that I try to be very careful to post my vulnerable stuff once I've had a chance to process it. Right. I try not to post it like in the heat of the moment, because then I feel like if I'm posting it after I've processed it, it can at least be of some help or I can post it in a way that's going to allow people to receive it without the emotional baggage attached to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the old adage, don't tweet drunk, right? (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it when you are still feeling all the emotions Mm -hmm. because you're going to say things you didn't mean. You're going to say things in a way you didn't mean. You're going to imply things because you're very emotional about it. But if you can wait till tomorrow and have had time to think about things, maybe you'll decide, well, it's not even worth posting, but maybe you'll also be able to look at it from, you know, 20 feet above and say, okay, here's what happened. And here's how I feel about it today. Because we do need time to feel the feelings and get through them. Like we can't, I say this to people all the time. You can't stop the feelings of fear. For example, fear Mm -hmm. is what holds a lot of people back from making the kind of posts that you make from being open about what I was going through at the time from even just saying something about their business, right? They're fearful of what people are going to say. Oh, how dare she? Why is she selling to us? All that kind of stuff when it's, it's just a business. Like we all have to post about our businesses. We can't stop feeling fear, but we can work through it. We can say, hi, fear. That's what I tell people. (laughs) Talk to your fear. Hi, fear. Thanks for doing job. I know you're trying to protect me, but I see you there and I can't let you run my life. So I'm going to go do this anyway. I've heard people say, you know, fight your fear, ignore your fear, work through your fear. I'm a firm believer of embracing your fear and making friends with it. Allow it to coexist. It's okay. You, You don't have to eliminate your fear. Just be aware that it's there and do the thing anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Be brave. A lot of people Mm -hmm. think being brave means you have no fear, but being brave or being courageous actually means you see the fear there, you feel the fear, but you don't let it hold you back. Anybody who has left a full-time job and jumped into entrepreneurship or anybody who has lost a full-time job and jumped into Mm. entrepreneurship or anybody who's there accidentally or however, I mean, any kind of entrepreneur is brave. Yeah. Right. You're brave just by having chosen to do something that, I mean, for most people, it's scary. Yeah. It's outside the quote unquote norm. Mm -hmm. Right. We (laughs) talked a little bit too, before I hit record about feelings of professional jealousy. Mm -hmm. You know, we look around and we see other people who do what we do or who have totally different businesses from us who have all their poop in a group or we think they do. Mm-hmm. But as I just said, you never know what's going on behind the scenes, right? I was only yeah. showing the stable part of my life at that time. How do you deal with professional jealousy? Do you experience professional jealousy? Let's start with that. Oh, gosh, yeah, all the time. 
you know, you see people where you want to be, where you aspire to be doing the thing that you want to do. And it's funny, I think I was sharing with you earlier that I have a coach that I work with now who, as I've been iterating my business and pivoting my business into this new sort of thing that it is, she is forever telling me like, Sarah, you did all this in corporate for 20 plus years. Like, why are you struggling to do it online? And it's because you see other people who have, you know, quote unquote, done it longer, or they look more put together, or they have the thing that you want to have. And at first, that first year, I won't lie, I was making constant excuses about, oh, it's because they have more money to throw at marketing, or it's because they don't have toddlers at home running around. They're able to have meetings without a toddler in their lap. All of my meetings, my toddlers in my lap. And that's a decision I had to make in my business, that if that was not going to be okay with you, we couldn't work together. But in the early days, yeah, there was this constant excuse making of they have all of these things I don't have. And what I realized, particularly late last year, early this year, is that's all just fear excuses, right? The jealousy comes from a place of fear, this unwillingness to actually put yourself out there. If I'm honest, in, especially in that first year, I did not market myself. I did not put myself out there. I did not sell my business because I felt like I wasn't in a place where I could do that. And so instead, I sat jealous of what other people were doing and made excuses for why I wasn't able to achieve it. The other part, when I really started to dig beneath the surface of what other people were doing was, oh, wait a second, but I don't actually want to do that right? Like I don't actually want the success that that person has. I want this kind of success. And when I started to really sit down with myself and say, look, Sarah, you see all this flash and bang and you're jealous of it. And you're maybe resentful that some people are doing the thing that you want to do or having the thing that you want to have. What's really going on behind the scenes? What are they actually spending? What are they actually doing with their time? What are they sacrificing to have those things? Because if you're not willing to do those things too, you don't have the right to be jealous. Instead, focus your energy on what you're willing to do to build the business that you want to have. And it's appropriate that my toddler came screaming down the hallway just a second ago because that was really important to me. I spent, oh gosh, 15, 16 years hiding parts of my personal life. I spent the last 13 hiding my children from clients, from my boss, from corporate, you know, pretending that I wasn't a mother in my off time, because that is what was expected to have a kind of business or a lifestyle that, you know, everybody else had. And so when I was able to really be truthful with myself, a lot of that jealousy melted away because I realized the life that I want, the business that I want is not the same as what that person has. And it's just made it so much easier, so much easier. There's so many signals that we get out there that success looks a certain way, right? Success is a large multi-million dollar company that has 30 employees for us, solopreneur types has 30 employees who do all these different jobs. And the CEO just has to do content creation or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Everything else gets farmed out. At least that's the message that I kind of get in my industry, that this is what this looks like. But that's not the kind of success that I want. I don't get jealous over that type of person. I may occasionally envy some of the work that they get to do, some of the Mm -hmm. stages that they get to be on. But if, like you said, if I'm not willing to 
sacrifice my entire career and life to getting to that point, then I can't, you know, be jealous over things you're not willing to work for. But success for me looks very different. Success for me is space. I want space to be able to enjoy my family and my life. Exactly. And that's a pillar piece of content for me, actually, you know, if we're talking about social media, is this idea that, you know, success does not necessarily mean six figures, success does not necessarily mean a big team, right? Success has to start. And this is how I work with all my clients. Everything that you do has to start with you defining what success looks like for you. Yes. When I was teaching business in college, I always started entrepreneurship classes with screw the business plan. Let's talk about your life plan first. What kind of life do you want? then build your business around that. So many people get it the other way around. And I personally feel like that's the wrong way to do it because then your business runs your life. Well, and you know, 20 years ago, there was only one way to have a life, right? Really? Yeah. Now, I mean, there's so many different ways you can live your life. Things have changed yeah. so much in the last 20 years since university for me. You can make different choices. You can choose to be a digital nomad and well, maybe not this year, but other years, <laughs> travel the world and work from wherever and make money and, and do things differently. You don't have to have a house and a six figure income and a family with a white picket fence. So success looks different to different people. And we have to work towards the kind of success and the kind of life that we want. There is no one right answer anymore. Exactly. And I think COVID has kind of proven that too, right? Like the entire face of the workspace has changed. You can create any kind of life you want. You just have to be willing to, to test it and try it and fail and try again and fail again and try again. Yeah. And if there's one thing that I hesitate to say this, if I was writing this in a social media post, I might write it and delete it several times before saying it, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Having the men of the business world working from home on mm -hmm. Zoom, having kids run around, having dogs and cats come across their screens and seeing their messy houses, just like moms have been doing for years. Yes. Side hustles and running their businesses from home has finally normalized this kind of life, right? And that's mm -hmm. happened because of COVID. Yeah. So if there's one good thing that has come out of this, it's that some men now understand all this and we don't have to hide our families and our dogs and our cats in our house, right? Exactly. Everybody's been forced to live the flossom life. Everybody is forced to live the flossom life. Absolutely. Yeah. So why don't you tell us where we can find you online if people want to hear about your flossom life? Ooh, okay. Well, you're welcome to follow me on social media. Facebook, you can look for me under the.sarah.con because there are a billion Sarah cons out there. On Instagram, you can find me at instagram.com forward slash linchpin.virtual. And my website, lynchpinvirtual.com. Great. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. And thank you for having me. This is I'm going to miss our weekly chats. We can turn them into weekly coffee chats now, right? Weekly coffee chats. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because we both have time for that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Bi weekly, monthly, yearly. All right. Well, thanks for sharing your stories with us. We will definitely talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Be Flossom, the Good Enough podcast. Before you leave, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode when I'll be talking to another perfectly imperfect entrepreneur. 
If you're looking for the show notes, head on over to beeflossom.ca, where you'll also find all the links to connect with today's guest.